Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. This week, on the other line, she's she's getting her her street gang together for a, a brawl in the in the salt factory. Uh, very welcome to have back on the podcast, Emily Wheeler. Emily, welcome. I'm happy to be back. Unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to be very good at these brawls because I can really only snap with one of my hands and not the other. So I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage on this one. What would be your brawl weapon? Would it be like a chain? Would it be like a sharpened toothbrush or something like that? Um, I'm going to go with the pen is mightier than the sword because I am not any good at a physical fight. I think I'm the last person you would want at that. So I'm going to somehow <laughs> figure out a way to do something in the background that's not involved in the actual physical fight. <laughs> uh, well, if you couldn't tell by uh, that reference, we're talking about um, West Side Story today because Steven Spielberg's remake of the iconic musical has hit theaters. Um, this is a movie, I don't know about you, Emily, I have been kind of nervously awaiting. I, I think there's been a, a, a sort of air, certainly on this podcast, of like, why this musical? Why now? Why is Spielberg the person to to do this? Um, so I'm curious your thoughts. I saw it a couple of weeks ago. Um, and what, so I guess first, like, what are your what is your relationship to the musical in general because obviously aside from this famed broadway show it was adapted into this really iconic like one of the most iconic movie musicals in the early 1960s that won like 10 oscars <laughs> um and so i i think that kind of feeds into a little bit of the apprehension of like okay so we're doing this again I, I don't know what what were kind of your thoughts going into this and then kind of what did you think of the final movie I think I was kind of in the middle of the pack on in terms of like apprehension and what I was expecting from this because I was I, I completely understood everything that you were kind of saying with like why people were apprehensive about this movie but at the same time I was like actually I think like Spielberg would match with a musical very well because Spielberg mm -hmm. in general is a filmmaker that is big on emotion and is good at doing a big emotion and that's kind of I think does very well with a musical in general you want to be able to just unleash those big emotions so you can kind of get away with bouncing into musical numbers out of nowhere right. uh so and then at the same time like yes West Side Story was made into a iconic movie as you were saying decades ago mm -hmm. but at the same time it lives on as a cultural entity everyone knows west side story i, I think my kind of relationship it, to it more is like everyone's seen a high school production of west side story yes. or been a part <laughs> of it like you know it, it is it is i have certainly seen the movie many many times i've certainly seen kind of amateur stage productions of it so to be honest, it's just a story that you can kind of return to over and over again, and we're all kind of used to that. So going into it, I was more just like, okay, I'll see what he can do with this. I think this could actually go really well, but I understand how it could also be a disaster. Right. Yeah. I Similar to you, Like, I, I'll be honest, I didn't see the 60s version until just last year during the, the pandemic. Um, and, but I like knew so many of the songs so well, just because there's like a lot of my family is like really into like broadway musicals and stuff so there was like always like someone playing a song from this musical like on the piano or something like that um and i 
I think I'm an admirer of the 60s version while and also just because I didn't see it at like an impressionable age like it has the sort of like amazing choreography and is one of the more like stylish movies ever made but like it's not without its its faults um you know I would say it does not have you know no offense to like Natalie Wood and to <laughs> Richard Bamer <laughs> who who play the the leads in it but you know not not the most kind of like blow you off the screen the supporting performances I think are more the standout in in that movie and you know there's obviously a a time when Hollywood was not going to cast Puerto Rican or Latino people as Latino characters in a movie and so there's you know I think Rita Moreno is the only Latino person in that entire movie and the rest of the Latino characters are just brown face. And so like it, it is not a movie without its its faults and stuff. Um, but I have to say. I kind of love this new version of it. Like, I, I, I don't know about you the entire time. I just had this my like my, my jaw open, like kind of like chuckling to myself of like i i cannot believe this is like winning me over as hard as it is and just sort of walking out with this feeling of like did did i did i love that i can't believe i kind of love that and also being like how how dumb and naive we were to doubt steven spielberg and tony kushner <laughs> of being like i don't know are we sure they're good are we sure we know what you know two-time Oscar winner, maybe most successful filmmaker of all time, Steven Spielberg, and, you know, Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright Tony Kushner. Are we sure we know what they're doing? Are they good? Yeah, I mean, once I had a similar feeling in the theater with you. As like, I could tell from the very beginning, I was like, oh, this is clicking, and this is working really right. well. And, like, you could feel the energy in the theater of, like, yes, this is one of those movies that people kind of talk about, of, like, this is a movie you want to see in a theater with a bunch of people, and it's kind of this, like, great thing is people are still kind of easing their way back into that like this is a movie that hopefully will pull people in because it absolutely deserves to pull people into a theater and be seen that way um uh, definitely i mean i'd i'd say you know just to piggyback off of that like th this is similar to dune i'd say and like whatever you think of that movie or or even this movie of just like walked up being like that is the kind of like movie theater experience i have missed of like big stylish expensive spectacle on screen and of just sort of like the majesty of how like big and stylish and well, i mean dune's not really colorful but this movie's certainly very <laughs> colorful that that you know you can get um and and just yeah I, I i couldn't agree more with that of like i i think if you're looking for like what is what is a perfect like big screen experience to like return to movies with i mean you you can't do much better than this i think Absolutely. And it kind of um, it kind of builds on what I think the in, this entire version of West Side Story does well, which it basically, I think, picks up the things that work really well about West Side Story and has always worked really well about it and just kind of turns that up to 10 and makes sure that that is the emphasis of this movie. Mm -hmm. So kind of as you were saying with your experience with the first movie, you were like, oh, those two leads actually aren't that great. Right. And I was sitting in this one and being like, the least interesting part of this movie is the central romance. <laughs> like, it just yeah. still is. I think just in general for West Side Story, that is kind of, it is there for structure, but is the least interesting part of the it's, story. The, it's a Romeo and Juliet yeah. problem. 
of like right. you know your it's... your investment is going to be into how 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 much you're sewing buying into like man these these two crazy kids they just want to like leave leave this town hit the road yeah and this this version of the movie uh really kind of speeds through that aspect of the story like mm-hmm. it's waste no time on like there is no build up to them being in love they see each other across the room and they are in love and that's the start of that whole story but what a <laughs> that that moment though i mean that's that's one of those early moments in the movie where i i just kind of like i mean we'll we'll talk about the cast in this movie but even even in that moment of like Rachel Zegler and Ansel Elgort like making eyes a- across the dance floor and you see like the the bl- they, they are crystal clear but like the blurred images of the dancers sort of like swooshing past them and the like different colored like bright primary colored lights just sort of sparkling off of them <laughs> I was just like <laughs> Steven Steven yeah. what what a guy I just I can't <laughs> Yeah, so he like he understands that 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 everyone understands what's happening in that moment, and that is a story beat that everyone will recognize, and you don't need to spend too much time on it. Right. So what he emphasizes instead is kind of these two side characters who are probably arguably the most interesting. I think Anita as a character has always been the most interesting character in West Side Story. I'd, I'd agree, um, and Rita Moreno, who won an Oscar for for that role in the in the '60s version, and she she appears in this new one in in a different role. Um that's been changed somewhat from from the original show but um yeah i'd agree that's easily my favorite character from the the 60s version she kind of like is is like a shooting star above everyone else in that movie it's insane right so like this movie picks up on here's these two really interesting side characters and then it also says what everyone loves about this is the songs and the dance numbers. Mm-hmm. So let's just do those super high energy. And like, as you were saying, let's amp up all these color pops and let's just amp up all the entire energy of this musical and put that on the screen. And that's what I think translates to it being this huge theatrical experience that is so kind of overwhelming and fun to see. Yeah. And I think I really have to credit Tony Kushner as well of, I think, the the sh- the movie is still unmistakably West Side Story, but there are some subtle but I think powerful changes he's made in the in the script that I think bring out all of these shadings and all this depth that I think hasn't always been there in the show, and these you know heavy ideas about um sort of. I mean, the, the idea of immigration and, and sort of like one group of people coming to a city and another group of people feeling like they're pushed out and sort of being the, the sort of charge that that creates. I think Kushner finds a way to sort of deepen that even more and make that feel even more relevant, but without it feeling preachy in a way, or add these ideas of sort of gentrification um, onto the the movie and... I, I don't know. I think bringing out more subtleties. I mean, the way that Rita Moreno, I think, gets brought in to this movie and sort of a, a reimagined character, I think, helps to sort of deepen sort of the contextual stuff about, like, what does it mean to have an interracial relationship at, at sort of this this moment in history and in this climate that the movie is, uh, is set in? And I, I don't know. And even I think, um, you know, it would be interesting to see, like, Kushner, I think, 
rearranges the order of the songs of like where they come in in the movie and who sings them is sometimes slightly different for certain numbers and i thought all that worked and was like really surprising and and numbers like you know um i feel pretty is probably like my least favorite song in the show but the way that gets used in this movie i that's that's almost even more of a testament to steven spielberg of like that's kind of a man number i think in the in the 60s version and then when it comes in in this movie i just had like my fists in the air i was like yes steven go (laughs) but um yeah i mean i so i really have to credit kushner and i mean getting back to spielberg i mean there's just images him and janish kaminsky who's i think shot all of his movies since schindler's list just like there's an image of Ansel Elgort just standing in a pool, like like a puddle of water, and the lights are like trickling and reflecting off the the water. That is like one of the most gorgeous images I've seen in a movie all year. And and of like they are going so out there in style. And as you mentioned, Spielberg's kind of always wanted to make a musical. Like you can even look at earlier movies, like there's a musical number in 1941 i don't know that i'd recommend people watch that movie but it's it's in there there's a music the second indiana jones movie opens with a musical number um Mm -hmm. and he seems such a natural fit because you know if you think about what makes him great as an action filmmaker is he has this i think better than anyone this great understanding of kinetics and of movement and of he can block a scene and move the camera around in a scene i think better than any filmmaker alive and that just kind of translates in these like really spectacularly choreographed sequences that that maybe aren't as sort of balletic and um sort of uh perfectly composed as the um 60s version is but feel like alive and vibrant and the camera's constantly moving around and this dance numbers are like going into the street and there's all kinds of like cars and people with like racks of clothing moving around and there's just so much swirling at once and you feel like you have he has complete mastery of all of these moving parts that are just going on all at once and with like the utmost clarity that i i i think of any movie of his in like the last 10 years or something this is just sort of like a a perfect example of like what makes him spectacular as a, a filmmaker just sort of like at up front and like at its most sort of bombast well bombastic is kind of a, a negative word but you, you you know what i mean it, it is it is full force and is like at at the end i was like more more musical spielberg like i'll be i'll be totally satisfied if just like the rest of his life he just does nothing but like makes big screen sweeping old school musicals for us I, I don't think bombastic is a bad word in this sense, because I think you want these kinds of musicals that are going for that big high energy to be bombastic. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing in this case. I think the best example of kind of a lot of what you were talking about here is the number America, which I think has oh. always been kind of the big number of the yeah of the yeah. musical. In this one, it is sweeping in and out of kind of stores and alleyways and big into the streets and you have these big colorful popping dresses and outfits and that number is kind of a talk back and forth between two people arguing two different points of view mm-hmm. um two of the more interesting characters as well um in the movie so that number is always popped he really nails that number with yeah. just as you were saying the way he has choreographed this and with the way the camera moves around all of these people doing this really spectacular dancing 
it is just like tens across the board. Everything is done perfectly in that sequence. And that's kind of maybe it's the high point of the movie, but does it matter? It, should, it probably should be the high point of the movie, in my opinion. Yeah. I think it's the best number. I think it's, you know, kind of a big number for a lot of key characters doesn't actually tie into maybe the main plot line of the doomed romance but oh well who really cares it's not really the main reason i'm here for this musical uh the big reason this this particular version did win me over again um is the character of anita and the actress who plays her which is ariana debose Mm -hmm. i think in the same way that spielberg as you're saying makes everything pop she has that star power thing that she just pops off of the screen so she is actually able to take the character of Anita, who Rita Moreno made very much her own and pretty iconic in her own way. Uh, she's able to kind of pick up that character and make sure it does not get lost to sort of the history of that character, which I thought was incredibly impressive. Yeah, I think she weirdly enough has like the hardest part in the movie just because the Rita Moreno performance is so like like that that it could have been so easy for like that just to totally overshadow ariana debose in in this movie and she makes it her own and like the the minute she walks on screen you're just like that's a movie star and and yeah. she's like got the 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 charisma and I, I i agree with you i think um or i don't know there's there's two other performances that i really love that i i, I we can transition to talking about but like you know i i i fully agree of like that that was a really she had i think the hardest task of anyone with this like other iconic version of that character hanging over her and found a way to like come out and make it her own and, and be a movie star in her own right. Um, let's talk about the two leads of this movie um, who are Ansel Elgort and uh, newcomer, Rachel Zegler, who I believe this is her first movie. Um, I'm curious. I, we kind of talked about like the two lead performances in the, the the 60s version of this or maybe aren't like the most dynamic characters um just kind of like in romeo and juliet like romeo and juliet aren't necessarily the most interesting characters but um i'm curious what did you think of elgort and zegler in in the the tony and maria roles i have to i have to preface this and just reiterate what you just said is that they have arguably the least interesting characters in this entire movie so they are kind of hampered in how much they can do because mm-hmm. they really both basically have one note to play he's sort of just like lovelorn dude and she's just kind of like the innocent i guess in the story right and that's basically all they have to play uh i she's good i just don't have much to base on how she's she's not playing with very much so i'm like She's good. I have no clue how much range she has. She sings wonderfully. She does everything she's asked to do. I don't know that she necessarily sells like an intense amount of innocence that I think that part needs. I think she's fine in the performance part, is great in the singing part. And that's about all I thought about her. The real issue with that central love line is Ansel Elgort, who... Yes, he's been in many, many more movies than her, but in every single time I've seen him in a movie, he's always just bland. That's just always how he comes off. I have nothing much to say about him. He just kind of exists on the screen and then goes away, and I think nothing of him. And it's not that he's necessarily a terrible actor. It's not even that he's sticking out for being terrible. He is just super bland on screen, and he is once again super bland on screen, and that really harms that central romance that you just kind of don't feel a connection because of that between them. Yeah, I, I I agree with you with Elgort of like he's he's never been someone that kind of 
popped on screen for me and is is just sort of a performer that I've 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 just sort of never gotten what what kind of the industry I, I don't understand him as as a movie star and think he's he's just kind of like and I think he his performance in this movie isn't quite the like flaming dumpster fire that I think some reviews I've and, and reactions to the movie I've seen kind of would make you think I think he's fine but he is kind of getting blown off the screen in just about every scene by every other person in this movie I'd, I'd actually maybe disagree with you some with Rachel Zegler I maybe it's just because of like having never seen her before and not being particularly a fan of, you know, no offense to Natalie Wood. I think she kind of got a little screwed over by that. There's like the famous story of like, that's not Natalie Wood singing and like Natalie Wood like trained to sing. And then they just ended up dubbing her with someone else. And um, there's actually like a funny moment um, where the cast was like being interviewed and, uh, you know, Rachel Zegler was talking about like, oh, how what an honor it was and how like important it was that that an actual like Latina woman was was playing this role, not, you know, Natalie Wood is not Latino <laughs> and is do is 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 her skin is darkened and and then um, you know, uh Rita Moreno like just kind of like snarkily comes in and is just like, It's good they got someone who can actually sing too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I maybe it's just because I've I'd never seen her before, but I was and you know, like I said, the Natalie Wood performance not really doing anything for me, but I I was just like, we got one. This this I don't know what more she's going to do, but this girl is a movie star in like the scenes of her and Elgort like I think any any buying into that relationship I got in the movie is from her. I think you see something in her eyes and and in her performance and this this kind of longing and that kind of Spielbergian wonder of a like eighteen. I don't how old is she supposed to be? A teenage girl who's just sort of like (laughs) falling head over heels in love with this boy and of just sort of it is this superficial silly thing, but I I don't know I as kind of bland as I thought Elgort was, it was just sort of like, I, I kind of like went with the love story as sped up as it is just because like you, you see it in her eyes and in her, her sort of expressions of this, just sort of like, you know, melting of every time she sees this boy and as well as she's like, she's got a great voice. I mean, she's got that, like, I think she's going to be in some Disney princess movie. And I mean, she's got this like incredible, birdsong voice that I, I think really works for that character so um I, I don't know I maybe like am a little higher on that performance than you have just sort of like oh wow I've never seen this person before and they are like you know swing the door open like Hollywood I am here and I am here to stay and um I I hope we see more from her because I think she's she's really great in this movie yeah, and I mean, I don't exclude that as being a possibility with her. I just was not 100% sold on going that far in on her right now. I think mm-hmm. it's still definitely in the cards. It could be. I was also just like, is her eye twinkling there? I, I saw what you were <laughs> saying. Like, are these eye twinkles her doing a lot of acting or is that lighting? And I just can't tell from this performance it's quite the yet. the magic of Which the it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, so I'm going to hold off. I need to see another performance before, before I go... go all in on her but i was like yes I, I i have nothing bad to say about her performance i do think she's just hampered by a very slight character that's that's fair um one other performance i wanted to mention that that really blew me away 
is this actor named Mike Feist, who um, I I had never seen before. I've I've sort of heard and read from other people that if you are much more into musical theater than I am, like you know he's he's more of a name in Broadway circles. Was in uh, I think Newsies and um, Dear Evan Hansen, um, but he plays the the leader of of the jets in in this movie um riff that the character's name is and i thought it was just sensational like an- another similar to to zegler or ariana debose just like the the moment he enters the movie i was like that kid's a movie star and has this re- like he's this kind of like he's got this like lanky kind of body and this kind of like wiry energy but there's something kind of like menacing and kind of off kilter about him of you know he he's not he doesn't have this sort of like physical menacing quality to him but just sort of feels like yeah this this there's something like internally unstable with this person and could easily just sort of like pull out a switchblade knife and and stab me and i I don't know i just thought like i mean another case of like not to beat up on elgort too much but you know (laughs) when when they're on screen together i was just like elgort get off i like i like want to see more of what this 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 mike kid is doing because it, it he he blew me away i would love to see i i think it's very possible like if we want to talk about awards consideration for this movie that um i think it's possible rachel zegler could get a best actress i think it's definitely very likely that ariana debose could get supporting actress who knows about mike feist but um I, I would love to see him get like supporting actor talk because I I was like totally blown away whenever he was on screen and I think found a way to make that character menacing while also have this kind of internal sadness of understanding like this is a kid that has like grown up with like a shit life of just like one bad thing happening to a to another and that's kind of, that's turned him into this like very like angry impulsive teenager essentially. Yeah, I do think it's quite possible that he could be, he will be in the awards talk. If he gets all the way, I'm not quite sure, but he's definitely going to be in there because I know a lot of people are responding to that performance very similar to you. I certainly liked him, but again, I think I'm a little lower on Mm -hmm. his performance than some people. Again, I don't think it's anything he's doing wrong. Mm -hmm. I think it's the character is kind of oddly written. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of as you were referring to earlier, they did a lot of tweaks with the story to bring out, I think, themes that have already always been in West Side Story, but they're making them more prominent here. Right. One of the things that they're bringing out is um, this idea that these kids are doomed, as you were saying. Like, mm-hmm. these kids never had a chance. They come from these very broken families. They come from a very economically depressed area. They have no path forward. And so all they really have in this world is like this little block or however far it is that they're trying to defend of their turf. And this is what they've claimed is theirs and they're going to defend it from anyone possible. And I understand what they're trying to do with that aspect of the story. And I think it's a perfectly valid thing to bring out, but I also think it just didn't quite sit right with me that they were trying to be so incredibly sympathetic to these characters that at the end of the day, for whatever the reasons are, are just like terribly racist and xenophobic people yeah. who are literally willing to murder anyone who comes into their area. Yeah. It's like, I, un- I understand how that story works. I think they didn't quite get the balance of that right. And unfortunately, the balance of that storytelling be a little, being a little off 
falls really badly on his character in particular of Rift, since he's kind of the main one that's heading that idea of a character. So, you know, a large, not to spoil West Side Story for anyone, if that's It's Romeo possible. and Juliet, if you <laughs> yes. don't know, that we had this conversation when, we, when yes. Hunter and I talked about Macbeth last week. If you don't know how this ends, I don't know, maybe you should have listened more in English class. Continue. <laughs> right, like, he dies, and that has to be a very tragic and big moment in the movie. Mm-hmm. And the fact that for me, it did not get that balance right. And I was just like, this is just kind of a terrible person. And yes, I feel bad that he had all these bad circumstances that led him to this. But at some point, he decided to be like this horrible racist and xenophobic person. Right. Uh, that death didn't hit as much as it should have. And again, it's nothing against that performance. I think the performance is very good. I think just kind of he was working with a bit of a flawed character there. So I'm not as high on his performance in general because I think it gets kind of hampered by the main problem I have this with this movie overall. Yeah, I think I would maybe... I'd probably hear that complaint while also maybe like being fine with sort of the gray area that it operates in of, I think, trying to say there are sort of these large... I think in a, in a subtle way, I mean, there's that great kind of opening crane shot that sort of highlights the kind of gentrification theme. And, you know, I heard for people who uh, were at the premiere in Lincoln Center that got some nervous chuckles at that opening scene. (laughs) But, you know, I I think that kind of highlights some of the ideas that Tony Kushner is bringing out about, you know, powerful people sort of laying waste to communities. And that sort of puts these communities against each other and of sort of like, you know, there, there maybe hopefully can be, I, I I think one of the ways the song like somewhere gets used in this movie is I think, you know, gets recontextualized a little bit from just sort of like this, this couple talking about like, oh, maybe we can have this, this life together to, to sort of like these larger groups of people, whether it's the immigrant communities of like, we don't feel we belong we're not being welcomed, but that there, there has to be a place for us to even just sort of the larger cast of people of like, even as, as, as sort of pushed by circumstances into xenophobia as like the, the jets have been of like, this is a, there's sort of like larger forces that are pushing them in there. And of like, these are all people that they like deserve a place and can like get along with each other. And um, I'm curious what you thought about like Rita Moreno in this movie and as well as any other performances that really like leaped off for you. But um, I don't know. I I thought it was like really emotional when she like sang that song and just like, to me, it kind of like crystallized all those themes that Tony Kushner was, was sort of bringing out and, and the sort of shading that he was added of, of saying like, this this is even more than a story of like you know the the group of people who have lived on this block forever being unwelcoming it is like this this is about how kind of like how we get to that moment and of about how like you know capitalism and all this stuff and like gentrification sort of like creates these issues that then sort of spring into violence and i'll i'll end my rant in the middle but of, of like another one of my favorite moments is like the very tony kushner speech of like the guys in the bar talking about the gun with um the jets and talking about you know you got like mutually assured destruction in your hands right there and, and that was another moment that was like th- this is the themes he's dealing with of like how 
we sort of like neglect communities in our cities and then sort of like push them into just sort of like destroy each other destroy like all all of these sort of like poor communities like just sort of eat each other and then we can get our new kind of like high-rise building up in in your neighborhood yeah i mean as you said these themes that they're bringing out in the story come in from that very first shot you see Mm -hmm. these wrecking balls coming in and to be honest if people were chuckling for uh more serious reasons that made me kind of chuckle because i was like come on open with Miley Cyrus's wrecking ball. I dare you right now. Just, come, just open with, I came in like a wrecking ball because that's what you're doing right now. Uh, so I kind of chuckled about that for some reason that made that song pop into my head. But I mean, yes, that opening scene is very much about bringing up all of the themes you just mentioned. Um, and then it does kind of get encapsulated, I think, very well into Rita Moreno's story, who is sort of the adult in this story kind of looking back and being able to say, look, this is all the things that, you know, you silly teenagers or however old they're supposed to be uh, are ignoring and just, you know, going off and being angry at each other and not paying attention to all these larger forces that you're basically falling prey to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I heard in an interview with Rita Moreno that, you know, she only agreed to come back because she said she wasn't going to do a cameo. Mm-hmm. You need to give her an actual character or she wasn't going to come back. And good, they gave her an her. actual character. Yeah. <laughs> Like, they gave her the actual character. She nails it, as I think everyone expects her to nail every single role. She's in a bit of a career uh, renaissance, if you could possibly say that right now. I believe she just turned 90, but she's coming She's coming in high off of the TV show One Day at a Time. Great which show. She was, yeah, excellent, amazing show. Now she gets to kind of be, you know, the stalwart of the West Side Story reboot. So, I mean, somehow at age 90... Uh, she is at a high point, I think, in her career as it's ebbed and flowed kind of in the industry. And uh, I could also see her sliding in for some major awards contention because of that. Well, let's uh, broaden to talk a little bit about Mr. Stevie Spielberg a little bit. I, I feel like this is this is a podcast I've been prepping for since I was like eight years old. Um, what's what's your relationship to to Steven Spielberg? Uh, I feel like I've been prepping for it since I was even younger than eight years old. I don't remember when I could not tell you the first Steven Spielberg movie I I watched. He has always been a known pop culture entity in my life. I think everyone, mm-hmm. whether they watch a lot of movies or not, they know exactly who Steven Spielberg is. So, I mean, he's just kind of this figure, this beloved figure in culture to me. And he's made all of these wonderful movies that I love that are so incredibly different from uh from one to the other, you can break them out into all these sort of different categories and it just makes him such an interesting filmmaker. But I think what I really appreciate him about him is that despite kind of dipping his toes in all of these different genres, he always, no matter what he's doing, is making film for films for a wide audience. He is never like trying to do this very particular thing. He's always wanting to make sure you're maybe not having a good time, but you are definitely going to see a movie and that you will appreciate. Yeah, I mean, my relationship with him i i think like many people like he he is how i got into movies as a kid um i like you probably can't remember the it was probably like et was was the first one i saw um very young but you know i i think also to you know hop on therapy couch for a minute like you know but spielberg is always someone i feel like intertwined with relationship with 
um, my dad who passed away when I was a kid and would is, is how I was sort of introduced to so many Steven Spielberg movies, whether they be Jaws or Raiders or Close Encounters or Jurassic Park. I mean, I, I, I remember he took my sister and I when E.T. got released, re-released into theaters for, I think it's like 30th anniversary. Like he was like, we're, we're going to go. You, you kids should see E.T on a big screen you'll you'll love it and um it, it, and so like all of those that that kind of like personal connection and even stuff that i wouldn't see until i was a teenager like you know new saving private ryan is this movie that he would just like watch if he was like sick and had to like stay stay home or something and would just like watch it in the bedroom um and so it, like i think a lot of the spielberg movies have this kind of like personal familial relationship to me but it, as well as, you know, kind of being the, the gateway, because I think like you and like so many people, he's kind of the first filmmaker I think you become aware of just sort of because of his place in the culture, as well as like if you're being introduced to all those movies as a kid, you're like, all right, wait, I love Indiana Jones. I love Jurassic Park. I love E.T. This is all the same guy. So there's like this. And then like, that's how the rabbit hole starts of like, probably the first time I became aware of like who a director was and what a director did is like, so there's this like one guy who's like made all of my favorite movies. Like what, what it can I see his other stuff? Like what else is happening with, with this man? And um, I, I don't know what it, what do you think? Where do you think he fits in kind of the culture now as a filmmaker? I mean, unfortunately, I think as we saw as the lead up to West Side Story, people have become a bit suspicious of him because mm. his last few movies have not been as well received. Whether they are necessarily good or not, I think you can debate on several of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I would stick up for The Post. I think The Post is a very well made movie. Fun movie? Um, yeah, like I think that's a solid, that's a solid movie. Um, but I think... Some of them have been, I think, genuinely not very good movies. And he has made not very good movies sporadically yeah. throughout his career. They have not all been home runs. But I do think right now uh, he is not as well loved with his new movies as his older ones. And I don't think it's his fault. I think um, he makes movies that are very sincere is how I would describe them. He is kind of not afraid of these big emotions. No matter what genre he's approaching, he's going to do that genre and its beats uh, very straightforwardly and very earnestly. And he's not going to do it with any sense of pretension. And I don't think that's in style right now. I don't think people really want that level of sincerity, particularly with a lot of uh, the kinds of very serious movies he's been dipping into. So for instance, I stick up for The Post. I think The Post is a very well-made movie. It is seems to be kind of forgotten. It kind of came and went yeah. in theaters and no one really said anything about it. I think it got fine reviews. And I think it's just kind of dissipated because everyone's like, okay, so we're doing kind of like a political drama with like no real interrogation. And we want that to be much more gritty. Yeah. People are like, oh, another dad movie with Tom Hanks directed by Steven Spielberg. Another one of those. (laughs) Yeah. And it's kind of like, even with his good movies recently, it's like, yeah, you know exactly what that is. And maybe you don't want something that simple but that's kind of what he's always done so why are you bashing him for doing what he's always done yeah and and he he is sort of like a classicist in 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 his style and is very like old-fashioned um you know i i think i agree with you i don't think he's necessarily seen 
today as the the hippest director to 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 uh for lack of a finer word but um i i think he's somewhat i think we somewhat take him for granted like i think he is so like he's so successful and has been so successful for so long and is such a like central figure of like even if you are not a, a cinephile like you and I, you know who Steven Spielberg is. You've probably seen at least one Steven Spielberg movie. And so he's such a part of the the cultural fabric that I I do think we somewhat take him for granted. And even his bad movies, because there are bad movies in his filmography. You can't make as many movies as he's made without a couple stinkers. But like he still can do these these things that are just like so unbelievable and is still like one of i think the most talented filmmakers like you know something another recent one like i i am not particularly a fan of ready player one but like the the sort of cgi action spectacle sequences in that movie are so much clearer and so much more dynamic than like 90 percent of the like blockbusters that you see and so even in a movie like that which has tons of problems and i think is is kind of inherently flawed like like you see that this is a man who still like like i said earlier knows how to move the camera understands sort of like visual storytelling better than nearly anyone else in the industry and i i think even if his movies don't feel like the coolest hippest most like edgy you know, even if they aren't at the the center of of the culture or kind of get tossed off like the post, like that's another movie that there's like quietly some like amazing filmmaking in there. But like, I feel like people kind of toss it off as just like, oh, Stephen made another Oscar bait movie or something. And then you know, I feel like people like you and I are just like, but have you seen the movie? There's like so <laughs> look what he's doing. There's like shots in there that are just like unbelievable. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it'd be fun for us to maybe like break down his career into some kind of like sections and kind of like talk about those sections, talk about how he's evolved and then maybe hopefully wrap us up with like some recommendations on, you know, any Spielberg movie that you think has been kind of overlooked and maybe should get like a second, a second chance. So, um, I, I think kind of, we don't have to spend too much time, but I think it is important kind of to mention his first two movies, Duel and Sugarland Express, which I think are kind of mid-tier of his filmography, in my opinion. But I think you really get a sense of, you know, p- people like Pauline Kael were pointing out early on of like, oh, this this is someone who really understands visual filmmaking and understands objects in motion. Those are both movies that have like, vehicles sort of swerving in and out. They're, they're road movies and have like cars on the move and crashing into each other and you can i i like i had never seen duel before and went back and watched it uh, a couple nights before and i think you you perfectly understand the visual geography of both of those movies and that's no easy feat and and i think he would certainly do that in bigger flasher ways later on but i i don't know have you seen either of those before i have not unfortunately seen his first two i keep meaning to get back to duel um because i've always heard basically what you're saying is like this is really like 
interesting precursor to kind of what he he ends up doing very very well Mm -hmm. so i'll kind of have to leave those two to you yeah yeah i i won't say any more other than like if you haven't seen them they they they're sort of they're fascinating into see like oh the the seeds are all there of like what that they're they're fairly stripped down movies but you really see someone who kind of understands visual action storytelling in the way he does um i think the next big section that I'm sure we're going to have a lot of thoughts on is kind of this late seventies in the early eighties section where he, he really, I think along with like George Lucas with star Wars kind of defines the modern blockbuster with movies like jaws and close encounters of the third kind and Raiders of the lost Ark and ET the maybe like one clunker in there that I also saw for the first time a couple nights ago is 1941, which um, have, have you ever seen that one before? I don't, I don't know no, that I, I haven't re- because I've not heard anything good. <laughs> it's quite bad. It's him like, you know, it it is like that weird period in the 70s where like the new Hollywood kind of crashes because a bunch of those directors kind of get these big blank check projects and they kind of like crash and burn like Coppola has one from the heart. Scorsese has New York, New York. Chimino has uh, Heaven's Gate. And this is Spielberg's version, which is even him today, he's a little kind of like, I think negative on this movie and is like, yeah, I was maybe not the right person to do a like big broad screwball comedy. And um, all, all I'll say about 1941 is it is a movie that is like aggressively like strangling you and shaking you at every moment of like, I'm funny. This is funny, right? Please tell me I'm funny. I swear. What do you want me to do? I'll tell you a joke. This is funny, right? Please. I'm funny, right? And um, it's not funny. So uh, kind of an annoying movie, but I, I don't know. What do you think about the, the the more beloved blockbusters of this era, 1941 excluded? I mean, that's the key word I would focus in on on this period. Is like, this is the period that made him beloved yes. and why people still think of him so fondly. I mean, maybe odd to associate the word beloved with a movie like Jaws, but I mean, people love that movie. I, I would I'm hold one Jaws as like, yeah. I would hold Jaws as like one of the handful of perfect movies ever made. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think there's a bad beat in that movie. I think you got pretty much everything that's been said about Jaws has been said <laughs> to say about it. It's just kind of a, a very perfectly made movie. I absolutely adore the scene uh, where they're discussing all their wounds and then they break out. Uh, the song. And I was like, that's just, that's, that's so, there's so funny much going too. on in yes. such a simple scene. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> It's like in terms of like here's a group of guys bonding. I was like, that's how you do a group of guys bonding. Um, and, and talk about a movie that like, you know, the m- number of documentaries and books people have written about it about how like it was this like disastrous like nightmare, insufferable set to be on, and people were like, this is going to be a catastrophe, and yet all those mistakes somehow like in in a stroke of luck ended up creating like like you said this pretty perfect movie. Um, it's it's just it, there's just something so magic and raiders is another one for me that like that and jaws are like the two i probably watched the most and raiders is just such a a perfect action movie i i just i don't know what more to say than than that yeah and then you get close encounters which has that sort of moment of awe mm-hmm. that i think he's so famous for he has that big moment in that movie so you're seeing a lot in these movies and then i would also have to add in E.T. obviously gets into the, the his stories about children and how amazing he is about treating children with like the full lives that they have. I think most filmmakers don't really trust that a child's life is enough to carry a story. And he does and always has. 
Um, so you kind of see in this little, in these little bits of his film, this little period, you're kind of getting everything uh, that he is so well known and well loved for. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, like Close Encounters and E.T. are like divorce movies, like pro- like two of the great divorce. And, you know, that there was that it's like a pretty okay documentary um, from a few years back, but th- about his life. But um, there is kind of an interesting bit in there where they're like interviewing his family members and you're in, you know, this um, split that happened with his, his parents when he was a kid and, and just really seeing how much that informed so much of his work. Um, and particularly like those two movies and just sort of like scenes out of those movies that feel like, Oh, this is very like, raw in some you know they're they're fantastical movies about aliens but there's like some raw moments of like i was a child of divorce and it like made me like upset and scared and like kind of you know really traumatized as a child um i think the period after this you know that he becomes a bigger producer amblin starts um you know, he's he's got his hands in other projects with like helping people like Robert Zemeckis or Joe Dante. Um, you know, we can get into the whole did did Spielberg make poltergeist controversy? Um <laughs> and and while he does kind of Indiana Jones becomes this thing throughout the the rest of the eighties that he kind of returns to, but I kind of think of this period as him. There's a lot of kind of like bullshit criticism from those that blockbuster period of people like you know, there's smart critics like Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel are like, these movies are magical and wonderful and perfect. But then there's other critics who are like, I don't know, Spielberg just makes kids movies or something. And the rest of his 80s feel like this weird reactionary period of him trying to be like, well, I don't want to just be the popcorn guy. I want to make serious movies. And this is where he's making Color Purple and um, Empire of the Sun and always which i would also put in a category with 1941 is maybe one of the movies of his that really does not work um what what are your thoughts on these movies because i i think this period is a little divisive for people i think depending on especially the age you come to for something like color purple or empire of the sun i think has a lot of influence over like what your relationship is to those movies i think in general what i would say is kind of what you were kind of setting this up as this is the period where he decided I'm going to make serious movies, but he maybe wasn't quite ready to make all the serious movies, not to jump the gun, but I think yeah. the serious movies in the nineties are very much more successful than these are. Right. So these are movies that like have their moments, maybe aren't as perfect overall, but it's a growing period for him. I do think what is more interesting in this section of his career is the way he sort of uh, moved into producing and the films that he produced ended up being, I think, much more influential overall mm-hmm. uh, than the movies he was actually directing. You know, he obviously uh, kind of is a huge part of Amblin Entertainment. Amblin Entertainment, kind of when you think of what we think of as this renaissance in the 80s of kids' movies, particularly live-action movies uh, that you could watch as a kid, uh, that so much of those were going through Amblin Entertainment. And so much of those have roots in what he was doing in E.T., uh, whether he directed them or not. You think of something like Gremlins or things like that. Like th- these, these are like the defining movies either he directed or produced throughout the 80s in this renaissance of kids' movies. And I think that is the big thing to take from 
unfortunately what he was doing in this period maybe isn't the directing stuff it is more what he was producing and what people were building off of of what he had done well in the period before yeah and i'd say even even though these i think are not the strongest of his sort of like more prestige movies like there's still a lot of great stuff in empire of the sun and you know i think another great example like et of him doing like a very mature sort of serious minded story about a child and sort of like enveloping that child's perspective making that child a full rounded three-dimensional character and even something like color purple which i like admittedly have not seen since i was a kid probably like 13 or so um like a young teenager and i don't know it was a movie that he I don't know that someone like him would get a chance to make that movie today. And there's certainly a, a conversation that I don't feel fully qualified as a white person to say, like, <laughs> I, you know, whether he was the right fit for that. But there is something interesting, I, I think, about his desire to him as this sort of like super successful Hollywood director wanting to be like, but I'm I'm sort of fascinated and want to sort of tell a very empathetic story about a about black women and and that being sort of like an interesting thing in of itself and even then that's still a movie that has like great performances and great filmmaking in it even even if there is a larger conversation to be had about like whether he was the right person to make that material um i think kind of transition and then oh go ahead and then i will just say like randomly in the middle of this you do get indiana jones of the last crusade so like yes you still get that one and randomly in the middle so like he still kind of knows what he does well and he isn't totally moving away right indiana jones is sort of the popcorn thing he can always return to during this 80s period that's that's kind of like um you know if 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 he needs a hit he'll he'll sort of return to to indiana jones um then getting into the 80s um he kind of has this weird I think low period kind of entering the, I mean, not the eighties, the nineties where like always that I mentioned, which was sort of built to be this more sort of like prestige Oscar movie is considered one of his worst movies. Doesn't do that. Well, I don't think is, is not very well received. And then that's followed by hook, which I think, especially for people like you and I's age, I think that movie is like not very well received at the, like pretty hated at the time and is like hugely expensive and a lot has like a lot of people coming for it with daggers ready to sort of like eviscerate it. Um, you know who I, I would say that movie's gotten a little bit of, of sort of like uh more positive reception, I think by people who have grown up with it. Um, I will just leave it as like, I really do not care to revisit Hook as an adult um, and have heard. I, there are people I know who have very fond memories of it f- from having seen it as a child, while also I know plenty of other people who are like, uh, yeah, Hook's maybe not like an awesome thing from your childhood that you should revisit as an adult. So let's let's just leave it there as um, that, that movie I think was seen, that and always I think were seen as these low points in his career. And then he has this like incredible comeback year with, schindler's list and jurassic park in the same year which is unbelievable like he has like the one of the biggest blockbusters of the 1990s that is like a groundbreaking movie in special effects as well as like that year's like one of the biggest oscar winners of that decade that in of itself is also kind of a daring movie of it's like a three-hour black and white movie about the holocaust that's like very very sad and depressing um 
and and that movie kind of like finally wins him his his oscar and i think the 90s you know he comes back and he does another jurassic park sequel but the 90s is i think he he fits more he goes in more into the mode of like all right i've i've come back with jurassic park as this other like i can still prove i can do a blockbuster movie better than anyone else but then now working into doing these more like historical movies like schindler's list and like saving private ryan where he i think finally gets the the long deserved sort of oscar claim that you know maybe he should have been getting like in the late 70s and early 80s with some of those popcorn movies to begin with not to say schindler's list and i mean saving private ryan those are both great movies but i i don't know do you have any any kind of uh other thoughts on like this this period of like when spielberg fully in gets his sort of oscar bona fides and his kind of comes back in the 90s after this brief kind of dip period i mean it really is worth highlighting his work in 93 to have both schindler's list and jurassic park come out it is very rare for someone to put out yeah like two (laughs) movies of that level in the same year i mean coppola did it with the conversation and is it godfather part two that came out that same year yeah Yeah, like that's the other one that i think you would list of being like man putting out two just absolute amazing movies uh in a single year very hard very few people have done it uh unlike coppola i would say his two are so extremely different movies yes um and as everyone says you know yes jurassic park is a creature feature which he had done before but it's a very different creature feature than jaws because you're doing jaws you don't see the monster at jurassic park you see the monsters all the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) so like two very different styles to that and yet he's mastered both uh you get schindler's list which i think is, is a much more straightforward kind of this is the drama he had been trying to make, the serious drama mm. he had been trying to make to get that kind of rec- like formal recognition that I think he had been craving to take his to be able to really ha- get like blank checks and be able to do anything that he wanted so that people it could really prove to people that he could really do anything he wanted. Um, which he then turned into Saving Private Ryan, which um, kind of something we've been dancing around with going through his entire movie. I think everyone has something that like this hit me so hard and is like this indelible moment in mm-hmm. your life, good or bad. Um, boy, I'm one of those people who walked into a room when a, an adult was watching the first part of Saving Private Ryan and I was way too young. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's a movie thing I'll never remember. It's like dragging half of a guy behind it. I'm like 10. I'm like, what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and that movie was my... a huge hit too. It was like, I, I forget. I always get it confused. It's like that and Armageddon were like the two biggest movies of 19. Like I forget which one is number one and which one's number two, but like that was a huge movie that like an insane amount of people saw. And that is like one of the more like disturbing, like grisly gross war movies you'll ever see. And yet it does have that sincerity. It does have this like kind of very soft melodramatic underbelly to it that plays into it. And yet it all works on how he balances those two things together. So I think this really is another period where he kind of is just hitting on all cylinders and just is doing everything right. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the next, I think the period after this is to me the most interesting. I mean, maybe not the, the greatest collection of movies, but the most interesting because kind of in that late 90s period after he after schindler's list and jurassic park he starts dreamworks which is still exists to some extent i think like the animation studio aspect of it still exists and i think it still works as like a production company but as a steven spielberg and like a couple other guys like started a studio it was kind of a failed experiment 
Um, but after, you know, his second Oscar win for uh, Saving Private Ryan, um, and I guess the one other 90s movie we didn't really discuss is Amistad, which is, I think, even more than The Color Purple conversation is a movie that, like, I think everyone can agree he was not the right person to make. And um, I kind of just think that movie is really boring is really all I have to add about it. I don't know if you've seen it and what have a sort of revisionist take you want to say, but that's kind of why we sort of skirted over that one. Um, I think a failed Oscar bait movie by, by Spielberg, but this, the two thousands period is interesting to me because, you know, he's, he's sort of achieved kind of seemingly every level of success you can have as a director in Hollywood. He's already the biggest filmmaker in the world. He's already like a two time Oscar winner. And yet, the movies he makes in this decade, I think with exceptions like catch me with you, catch me if you can, which I think is, is really fun and really like wonderful. And one of, I think is better movies of this century or um, the terminal, which is maybe less successful and has like Tom Hanks doing a weird, like Eastern European accent. Like the movies he makes in the two thousands are really dark. Like AI minority report war of the worlds and Munich are all really, really dark movies Three of which, I mean, Minority Report may be more by, like, coincidence than, like, uh, sort of, like, direct vision, but are all kind of movies about, like, post-9-11 fears in America. And I I, I have some, like, incredible filmmaking in it, but I, I don't know, this period just, like, fascinates me because it's sort of, like, after he's sort of gotten his sort of prestige accolades is, like, yeah, I'm makes these very i think challenging very dark movies um that i think really kind of interrogate a lot of fears going on in the country at the time yeah i mean these are definitely movies where he is being allowed to do whatever he wants and they Mm -hmm. get very weird at times and sometimes that works sometimes that doesn't i do think kind of as you're talking about there is this maybe unintentional depending on the timing sometimes intentional strain of really responding to the culture of uh, America post 9-11, which I think when you look back, as we're starting to really look back and evaluate that now, uh, everyone gives credit to horror really responding to that really fast as a mm-hmm. genre. And then typically people say that like most other filmmaking was pretty slow. Most other genres were pretty slow to really start responding to it. So his films to do like Minority Report and War of the Worlds to do these sci-fi films that are in, I think Minority Report was coming out I think it would have been in production by the time 9-11 happened. It probably wasn't intentional that this has all these, I don't think the timeline works out. It just kind of unintentionally built on all of these things. Um, Yeah. Minority report, a weird case of like the, the history reality catching up to that movie pretty quickly. And that when it comes out, like the Patriot act and like government surveillance and stuff is already kind of happening. But uh, I mean, continue with like war of the worlds and stuff. Yeah. But like war of the worlds timeline wise, and from what I remember of it, it's been several years. I was like, that's a pretty intentional response. Oh, I think yeah. it is saying, and people now looking back are evaluating it much more than they were at the time of like, Oh, this is like a very intentional response to nine 11 and the culture of our time. And so I'm interested because I haven't seen it in several years to really go back and watch it under that lens. Um, but I do remember when it came out, boy, I, I think it got a middling response when it first came out. Yeah. I loved it when it first came out. I don't know what people disliked about it. I really never got onto that idea of what was bad about it. The, um, the, the ending, 
I think the one problem with that movie is kind of its ending and and that sort of maybe a a, a instance of Spielberg's sincerity kind of like working of that's that's a like very dark pretty nihilistic apocalyptic movie for most of its runtime um and then I think he kind of like doesn't he doesn't want to fully leave the audience with a a bad taste in their mouth and it's it's got a happy ending that doesn't feel totally earned for as like really upsetting as that movie is for most of its runtime I think this is the period where uh, kind of the cultural shifts away from him. Mm-hmm. I think he, as you're saying, does very classical beats in his storytelling. I think then what he, uh, what the wrinkles he brought to that um, really became the core of what everyone was replicating. That kind of became the style of filmmaking that everyone was doing. And this is the period where the style of filmmaking everyone else is doing starts to build off and away from what he was doing while he keeps doing the exact same thing. And so that's where I think kind of just the taste and what people expect from a story starts to move away from what he innately does. Yeah. And then, so I think if we move past this period, I mean, he does, he comes back and does a fourth Indiana Jones movie that maybe the less said, the better. Um, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe we're coming back and doing a fifth one. Like really? I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. Um, I think, his movies in kind of the 2010s, I think you can kind of break into two loose trilogies. I think the one loose trilogy would be Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, and The Post, which are all these like very well-made, very classical sort of historical chamber pieces that are all about kind of like, what does it mean to be America? And what 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 do what are America's principles and how do we like live out those principles every day? And the second sort of loose trilogy that maybe I'm not as big of a fan of is, you know, Tintin, um, BFG, uh, ready player one, these more popcorn movies where he is playing around a lot with, what he can do with computer graphics and with motion capture technology. And I'm curious what you think about like those two is kind of like loose trilogies of like two very different things that he's sort of like fascinated in during this sort of last decade and, and, and kind of like whether you like those periods or or anything like that. I think this is a really bumpy period for yeah. him. I think I'm kind of with you. I prefer kind of the first trilogy you pointed out of the Lincoln Bridge of Spies and Post, where it's those are just solidly made films. And I do think um, Lincoln, I think, Lincoln is genuinely would, like would really be, great. Yeah, like Lincoln, I would point out is another one where it's like people don't give that enough credit because kind of as you were saying, interrogating this idea of um, what a great American is. Um, I've always been quite fascinated with Abraham Lincoln as a historical figure and as a person. So I've like read a lot of books about him and done all the, you know, historical tourism on him. And like, I think, I think what misses in pop culture about Abraham Lincoln is like, he is in fact a man who maybe deserves the amount of accolades that he gets. And one of the rare ones that does when you reach that kind of level, but for none of the reasons that people give him credit for, uh, he was a very flawed guy. He was a guy who suffered from major depression throughout his life. He was a guy who, you know, lost two sons in his life. Like he was, he was a guy who succeeded in spite of a lot of troubles and just kind of said, you know what? But I think the main thing that really made him a great politician and made him able to do things is that he said he was able to change his mind 
he was constantly learning and he said, you know what, I was wrong about this and what I was saying before, this is actually the right thing to do. And they would actually go ahead and do that new thing with his new idea. And I think that's undervalued, particularly in politicians today. And I think his his movie about Lincoln, while well, yes, a very traditional and, you know, kind of on its surface gauzy biopic, is kind of getting into this idea of Lincoln was not this pop culture figure that he had become. He was a much more complicated guy and he perhaps succeeded in spite of a lot of things that uh, people don't know about him. Like the big thing I think everyone talked about with Lincoln is like, why did they do that voice with Lincoln? It's like, well, that was what his voice was actually like. His voice was very high pitched and reedy. He wasn't a natural, like we think of him as being a great speech maker because we remember the written text of his speech. No one has, his voice wasn't recorded. And so people don't realize that actually he was kind of a great speaker in spite of his voice. Um, so I think that movie in particular does a lot of very interesting things and it doesn't get enough credit for really taking those swings with a very traditional biopic. Uh, I think, as I said, the post is incredibly well made. Those movies with uh, heavy on CGI, you know, the BFG is just incredibly boring yeah. movie to watch. <laughs> you know, I think I haven't seen Tin Tin because I kind of get the same impression. I was like, I think he was just like fiddling around with tech and what didn't really do a good story around it. Um, and Ready Player One, I think, is just kind of light fluff. And I think it's fine if you just take it as that. But that's about all it is to it. Yeah, I think my problem with the the very, you know, the the CGI, mo the, I'll call it the motion capture trilogy, um, is I think Spielberg is maybe the best filmmaker ever at selling you an effect. And I think, um, you know, a, a, a combination, a movie like Jurassic Park, like, you know, understanding when to use cgi when to use an animatronic puppet when to let the the expressions of your actors be able to sell you on what is happening um and make it feel real um he's better than pretty much anyone else at like the effect is like something extraordinary in our everyday world and like like a dinosaur walking down the street or an alien spaceship hovering over uh what's what's that national park in uh um close oh, encounters i, I should know this but called. an alien yeah. spaceship over a city like he's <laughs> yeah. better than anyone at, at like letting you see that and be like that's real but something seems off when the the sort of world the entire world is the effect and and you don't quite buy into it the same way and i don't think i think he's great at something imaginary in a real space but an entire space that's imaginary it doesn't quite connect in the same way and so yeah none of those three movies even tintin which i think has its defenders i'm that particularly satisfied with i think the other interesting thing with the the political dramas is each one, whether intentional or not, it kind of like works as an allegory for the time it came out in like Lincoln. There's a lot of um, talk when that movie came out of it being kind of an allegory for the stuff going on in the Obama administration with trying to get the affordable care package passed or the affordable care act passed and kind of the, the complications about like, passing an important piece of legislation through our government and the sort of wheeling and dealing you have to do um you know with bridge of spies i remember that coming out like around this conversation with like guantanamo and like a lot of the 
terrorist figures in 9-11 people who like conspired against 9-11 going on trial and of like well what what is our duty as americans to sort of give them a free and fair trial while also even though they are these like people who have done these horrible acts against our country and like exploring those themes through a story about like a russian spy who is going through trial and tom hanks has to defend him in order to uphold that principle of our nation and i mean as as i think you uh mentioned earlier i mean the the post is like that's that's steven spielberg's trump movie like that that was a movie that like very very clearly was like i'm making a movie about like the importance of the first amendment and the press like holding our leaders accountable and like a corrupt presidential administration trying to like suppress stuff in the the media and kind of like shut stories down and stuff like that and so i think whether or not you think those movies work i think they're i think lincoln's genuinely great i think the other two are like solidly fun but um that I, i think are interesting in him kind of thinking about historical examples and how to like apply them to what's going on in the real world um before we wrap up uh I won't ask you for your favorite Spielberg movie, but feel free to drop it if you want. Um, but I feel like a more interesting question is like, what is a Spielberg movie that you think has been overlooked that you think people would gain a lot kind of going back and revisiting it? Well, I don't think there's any secret on what I think my favorite Spielberg movie is. Cause I said, Jaws was a near was basically one of the handful of perfect movies ever made. So yeah, Jaws is the best. M- my, <laughs> my favorite. <mine> too. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not an original answer. Um, as far as things that have been overlooked, boy, it's hard to overlook a Spielberg movie. But uh, kind of as I've already said, I think I think people really need to go back to Lincoln and look at what it is saying about mm-hmm. uh, him as a man and as a much more complicated figure than people uh, than certainly American pop culture wants to think of him as because he he was a politician mm-hmm. and he came with all of the nasty shadings that can come with a politician who's able to get things done. <laughs> Yeah, uh, my pick might be, I don't know if this is an like that cool of an answer now, because I feel like this movie already is being sort of revisit, like revised in uh, the last few years. But I'd go with AI, which um, got a pretty, I think, divisive reception when it first came out in the early 2000s and started as a, a Kubrick project. And then Kubrick brought Spielberg on and there was all of this sort of misreporting about like who really was involved in stuff. And then as more has come out over the years, it's like, no, it was a collaboration process. It wasn't like Spielberg came in and bastardized a Kubrick movie. Like they worked together on it. Um, That movie's like, I mean, that's one of his darker movies and it's got, you know, it, a incredible child performance in it from Haley Joel Osment. Like, almost i think even better than his sixth sense performance and is got such like visual splendor to it but also like some of the most nightmarish imagery um spielberg has has put on screen i think it's in a lot of ways his saddest movie um mm-hmm. and I, I don't know i think it's just one that like i remember when i first saw it as a teenager was like eh, it's fine but sort of like bought into kind of the bs narrative of like but the Kubrick version would be so dark and so nihilistic. And then like watch it again, um, like a year or so ago as an adult. And was like, no, this is like, um, you know, there's, I, I think it's a wonderful, interesting meshing of those two guys sensibilities um, and makes for this, I think like kind of poetic 
sad science fiction movie. So um, that'd be that'd be my pick. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a reason we both picked something from the last 20 years, and that's that I really do think this period, as much as it it kind of has tarnished his reputation at the moment, mm-hmm. I think it is going to get a reevaluation as people come back and look at it kind of outside of the lens of whatever was going on with storytelling uh, at the time and its move away from what Spielberg was doing. I think I think maybe they are have flawed they are more flawed movies than maybe his peak in the mm-hmm. early 80s, uh, but they are dealing with some pretty interesting things and are interesting kind of variations on what he does so well yeah definitely well emily thank you so much for for joining us this week and um good luck out there in the world as you you know strut out into the the highway with with your with your gang and um you know just good good luck on that brawl today good luck (laughs) you too hopefully we end up on the same side (laughs) 